Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. We're going to be continuing our series called Dangerous Faith looking with the help of the team at Open Doors at Persecution and the Axe Church. Hopefully, like me, you're really enjoying this series and you're finding it helpful and encouraging during these times. For the benefit of anyone who may have missed the last couple of weeks, I'm just going to do a quick reminder of our goals for this series and what we are hoping to get from it. So firstly, we're hoping to get a better understanding of the birth of the early church and how the gospel spread and flourished under persecution. Secondly, we're looking to deepen our own confidence in God's love and presence during our own times of suffering. And finally, we're looking to grow in our awareness of our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ and stand with them in prayer. So let's watch this week's video together now and then in a few minutes we'll come back together to discuss it. In chapter 7 of Acts, a Christian is martyred for the first time amid a hail of stones. What was it that got him killed? Well, he had a dangerous idea, a very dangerous idea. And he puts it like this. He says, God's temple is not built with human hands. His name was Stephen. And that got him killed. Of course, it didn't help that he said it in the temple to the very people who ran the temple. And it didn't help that he said it in a trial, in a way that didn't attempt to win friends and appeal to the jury. What Stephen said, how he said it, and where he said it, got him stoned to death by religious leaders. The first Christian to die for his faith. Stephen said, God's temple is not built by human hands. It doesn't seem that revolutionary. It doesn't even seem true on the face of it, because aren't all temples ultimately built by human hands? What's so wrong about a temple? What did Stephen see? that got him killed, something that he seemed to see as a Greek-speaking Jew, as opposed to the apostles who were Hebrew-speaking Jews, and they were a lot more positive toward the temple than Stephen was. What does he see in a temple that makes him speak against it so boldly? What's a temple doing for Stephen to lead us away from God rather than toward him? Well, think of it this way. If you wanted to send a letter to God in the first century AD. You would address it like this. God, Holy of Holies, Temple Mount, 
care of the high priest, Jerusalem, Palestine. That's where God was. That was God's address. And the whole religion revolves around making sure that you're pure enough to come close to God's address, to the Holy of Holies. The purer you were, the closer you got. If you stayed pure, God liked you. You could approach. But if you weren't pure, if you hung around with the wrong people, if you didn't wash your hands the right way, if you didn't say your prayers the correct way, if you didn't sacrifice the right animal, whatever, God wouldn't like you. God wouldn't hear you. God wouldn't save you. Being part of a purity religion is a terrifying business because here's the problem. You never know whether you've been pure enough. Pure enough for God to actually like you. Jesus disagreed with this whole purity system. So much so that when he said the temple would be destroyed, <laughs> the priests arranged for him to be killed. A religion that's all about becoming pure to be saved has a very important benefit for those in charge of it. It's a great system for controlling people. When I was working in China, I learned about the controlling power of religion from a very powerful man, a provincial leader in fact, pretty much with the power of life and death over tens of millions of people. I got in to meet him one time at a banquet and it was arranged by house church leaders who said, you know, this is a special opportunity here. Give him the gospel. Nobody's more powerful in this province than he is. Well, it was coming up to Christmas, so I told him the story of the nativity. And he began to listen very closely. So, so well, in fact, that I thought he might be thinking of becoming a Christian. And then he said, well, thank you for telling me about this, this religion. He leaned back and he spoke to one of his aides and he says, how many Christians do we have in this province? He got a reply and it seemed to surprise him. And he gave this guy another order. And the aide rose and left. And then turned to me and he said, thank you again for telling me about this amazing religion. He said, I've just banned the celebration of the nativity in this province. I said, you've banned Christmas. He said, yes. I said, well, why? I said, well, isn't it obvious? The idea that God could be a child born to a no-name girl in a no-name village, if that were true, God could be anyone. And God could be everywhere. He said, I can't have that getting around. I can't manage that, he said. And I said, well, what do you mean you can't manage that? You can't tell me you think you can manage God. And he said, well, yes, of course. I said, well, well, how would you manage God? He said, it's simple. You keep him in the temple. You keep him in the temple. He said, look at every Chinese village. It's got a temple. A peasant goes into the temple and they light a stick and they put it in an orange or a, uh, a lemon and they ask for a bit of good luck from their ancestors. He said, no harm done. Stays in the temple. Not dangerous. 
doesn't really get out. This idea that God doesn't stay in the temple, but could be working through anyone, at any time, everywhere. He said, oh, I can't manage that. It was like talking to Herod the Great or Caiaphas, the kind of men that put Stephen to death. And when he makes his great defense speech in the book of Acts, he's asking the question, well, where did our great ancestors in the faith meet God? Did they meet him in the temple? Where did Abraham meet God? When he was a sun worshiper in Iraq. Where did Joseph meet God? When he was a prisoner in Egypt. Where did Moses meet God? When he was a shepherd in the desert in Midian. None of them, none of the great ancestors of the faith, actually met God in the temple. Aren't you making a bit too much of this? Well, they didn't like it. What is a temple made with human hands, as Stephen means it? Well, a temple, it's something we build ourselves to keep God in. And it's very subtle because we think we're building it to get to God. But actually, it's how we keep him away. It's how we keep him out. So we always have to look at our lives and ask, well, is there a temple we have constructed with our own hands to keep God in, to manage him, if you like? Might be a tradition, a building, a place, a doctrine, a book, an experience even. Something that keeps God in, something that tries to make God safe and predictable, something we do that makes sure he's always on our side. It takes a lot of energy to keep God in a box like that. And it's very dangerous, dangerous to us, I mean, because God doesn't stay there. God can't be managed. And it's crazy to think that he can, but there's something in us that, that attempts to. So a temple, according to Stephen, is the way we try to keep God at bay. And if we realize that's what we're doing, then actually God is, as it were, let out of the temple. But if you want your God safe and predictable and manageable, oh yes, build a temple for him. But if you want God to be who he really is, dangerous, just, sovereign, accepting, then we better dismantle that temple and live. I absolutely loved this week's video. I thought it was an absolutely fascinating one and it's really challenged me as I've watched it over the last couple of weeks. Throughout this series, we're going to hear of Christians that are under horrible persecution because of their faith. And we're going to see how God sustains them and blesses them, even in these moments. And it is so important for us to get alongside our brothers and sisters who are living under this persecution so important to pray with them, to learn from them, because there's so much to learn about how their faith is during these times. And it's also so important for us to understand their situation. 
But I do want to touch on something this morning that I think is really important for us as Christians to recognise, learn from and grieve about. And that is this. Throughout history, Christians at times have been the persecutors. Throughout history at times, people who have called themselves Christians have been the ones persecuting. As Christians, we cannot hide from the fact that oppression and hate has occurred throughout history in the name of Jesus. Some of these people who genuinely think that it's God's will for them to persecute people of other faiths, of other backgrounds, people who are slightly different from them. And because of this, I do have sympathy for people who shudder when they hear that I'm a Christian, that people that hear the word Christian and feel a bit sick because of the persecution that has happened that Christians have had given to other people and called it God's will. We could go through history and see people using the Bible, often very out of context, to validate their own prejudice, their own racism, misogyny, homophobia and hate. And likewise, Christianity has also been used by leaders to gain a political advantage, to defend and encourage slavery, to silence the poor and the vulnerable, and to elevate their own personal status. And when I see this, when I look back at history and see it happening today, it makes me so embarrassed and it makes me so angry. And to be honest, so it should. We read in John chapter 2 that Jesus saw the temple being used as a place to manipulate others and for financial gain of the religious leaders. And he was furious. John chapter 2, 13 to 16 says this. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Jesus went into the temple and saw religious uh, leaders using their temple as a place for their own financial gain. And he was so angry. He was furious of what this temple had become. And Stephen's moment that we heard about in this video, the moment that got him stoned when he spoke out against the temple, wasn't too dissimilar 
from this moment from Jesus. Because Stephen spoke out against the use of the temple and the way the religious leaders were using it for their own reputation, for their own manipulation and for personal gain. I don't know how many times, even over the last couple of months, I've felt so angry that Jesus's name has been associated with acts of hate, of manipulation and personal gain. Only a few weeks ago, we saw people violently storming the capital whilst holding up signs saying, Jesus saves. One American newspaper had the headline the next day after the storming of the capital, a Christian insurrection. And whilst that headline is clearly lazy journalism, we cannot get away from the fact that Jesus's name was linked to this horrible event, this attack on democracy. I have to admit, though, something that happened a couple of months prior to this made me a lot more mad. In the midst of a campaign for racial equality, with the whole world watching, we watched our TV screens as Trump threatened military action on the protesters and then followed this by attempting to validate his comments by posing in front of a church holding a Bible. Am I the only one who saw this and felt utterly, utterly embarrassed for our faith to be associated with such things? Am I the only one that saw this on TV and wanted to speak to every person that I knew that wasn't a follower of Jesus to tell them, this is not my Jesus? That if the Bible was actually opened rather than awkwardly held up like a trophy, then maybe these people would understand that this is exactly what Jesus would have flipped a table about. And this is exactly what Stephen would have risked being stoned to speak up against. This is people using the name of Jesus completely out of context to elevate their own agendas. Ironically, in doing so, they're portraying Jesus to be the complete opposite to the reality of who he is. In fact, we heard it in the video we just watched. When Ronald told the gospel to a provincial leader in China, the leader was so scared of Jesus that he banned Christmas. What was it that he feared? Well, what scared him was the fact that the Bible portrays God to be a leader who was too inclusive, that didn't care about status, who treated everyone as equals and who came low even to be born as a baby to have a relationship 
with his creation. The Chinese leader heard this, heard this story about a God who would be such a loving God. And he saw that Jesus sets an expectation of a king that could put love first. He knew immediately that if you're to read the gospel, if you're to read the gospel, you'd realise that there's no way that you could use it to manipulate others. There's no way you can use it to increase your own personal status above anyone else. And this is simply because of the gospel's main character, Jesus Christ. Who is this Jesus? He is God, creator of all, who chose to serve. He chose to treat all with compassion and to live in community with those that he was not only king of, but creator of. Philippians 2 verses 6 to 8 puts it brilliantly. It says this, talking of Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This is our Jesus. Isn't it encouraging that the thing about the Bible that scared this Chinese leader was that Jesus was too kind, was that Jesus was too compassionate, he was too humble. If we are to live like Jesus, If we are to follow his example, we are called to do the same. Not for our own status and recognition, but out of love for God and out of love for God's people. What an unbelievable example of leadership Jesus set. So Stephen was speaking out about the manipulation and personal elevation that was taking place in the name of Jesus throughout the temple. The kind of manipulation and personal elevation that we still see today. But there was another key point that Stephen was making. Wasn't it interesting to hear how the Chinese leader said that he could control God? And he said, this is how you control God. You keep him in the temple. If he's in the temple, people can go and light a candle, they can give themselves hope, but once they leave the temple, God is effectively on pause. He's frozen like Captain America, only to be unfrozen when they next visit the temple. Stephen's comment that got him killed was one to speak out against this idea of keeping God in the temple. He said God's house was not built with human hands. 
And what he is saying is God's address is no longer that which is built by humans. His address is no longer the temple. He doesn't live there anymore. So what was so offensive about this statement? Well, firstly, and most simply, it wasn't what the religious leaders knew. It goes against the tradition. God had always lived in the Holy of Holies in the temple. And now Stephen's suggesting that God's moved house. And we all know that religious folk don't like any change of tradition. But it definitely goes much deeper than that. In the Old Testament, God resided on earth in the Holy of Holies within the temple. And this was for a reason. Because God was so holy that it was very dangerous for anyone to encounter him. For someone to enter his house, they would need to keep to certain rules and go through cleansing rituals. Even then, only the holiest of holy people could enter his presence. And even then, some may not survive being in his presence. To even suggest that God could live on earth outside of this space was to say that God was not that holy after all, that God wasn't too holy for humans, that God could live amongst humans. Stephen was stoned in the religious leaders' minds because of heresy. So what had changed? How had this statement gone from what would have been heresy to truth? Well, God's holiness did not lessen. Instead, our sin and dirtiness was cleansed by Jesus's life, death and resurrection. Because of this, God is not constrained to the temple. In fact, if he was to be given a new address, I would argue that the most accurate would have involved the names of his followers. God's new home on earth through his Holy Spirit is you and me. Sometimes we can live like God's home is the church building. I feel like we can sometimes be in a place where we're still not over the fact that God's home is no longer in the Holy of Holies, in our place of worship in the temple. The truth is, we can meet with God wherever we are, but often we limit ourselves to encounters with him when we're in the church building. This amazing truth that we can encounter God wherever we are is the reason why over the last nine months or so, we are no less church than we were when we were meeting here at Riverside each week. God doesn't live in buildings. God lives through his spirit in people. So how does that affect the way that we live? Well, firstly, if you're searching for God, maybe you don't know whether you have a faith or not. 
You don't need to be anywhere special to find him. God can meet you where you are in your homes. We could encounter God wherever we are, at any time of the week, however we are feeling. This means we could bring him on our journey with us and we could lean on his love in the times of anxiety, stress and pain, as well as celebrate with him in the good times. Sometimes we refuse to let our interaction with God out of the church. We try to keep him locked up in our Sunday morning box. But to live in the fullness of God's love and his plan for us, we cannot live like his house is in the holy of holies in the temple. We cannot live like we need to do these cleansing rituals before we approach him. We cannot live like we have to have a certain amount of holiness before we can encounter him. We cannot live like we need to be in a certain place at a certain time of the week, feeling a certain way in order to spend time with him. We do not need to be anywhere in particular. We do not need to be feeling holy we do not even need to be in a good place to encounter God and to hang out with our father he meets us where we are and isn't that a relief for us right now in lockdown I don't know what we'd do if God no long if God was only living in the church buildings but God meets us where we are. However you are feeling, wherever you are, at any time of the week, you can encounter God's presence and love. How can we bring more of God into our daily lives rather than leaving him in a box ready to open on a Sunday morning? The truth is, We often box God in a few ways. Whether we leave that box unopened until a Sunday morning or not, I'd suggest we all have certain ways that we keep him in a box. Maybe it's a doctrine, a non-negotiable understanding of who God is or even certain aspects of our lives that we've refused to let God into. Theology and an understanding of God is very important. But we must realise that God is far greater, far more powerful than our understanding of him. We can't manage God like the Chinese leader tried to do because he is far greater than our understanding and he is vaster than the temple. God wants to meet with you where you are, however you're feeling, whatever your worries, whatever your stresses, whatever your pain, at any time of the week, God wants to meet with you because he no longer lives in the temple. This is Jesus. Jesus, who is this humble, loving God who scares the Chinese leader because he's too loving, he's too humble, he goes too low but it's also the God 
that doesn't live in the temple. He lives in us and we can encounter him wherever we are at any time of the week. He wants to know you deeply. He wants to have a relationship with you. Don't leave him in a box to open on a Sunday morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you sent your son to be with us. Thank you that you went low. Lord, thank you that such a humble God that you would send your son to to live as one of us. To be obedient to a cross. To die for us. And to rise again so that we could have a real relationship with you, not just a Sunday morning relationship, but a real relationship with you. Lord, help us to grasp what that could look like. Lord, challenge us what it would look like to let you out of the box. Lord, we know that you could break through from anything, but sometimes we just want to hide you away, Lord, and I just pray that you help us to build a relationship with you that is constant. Lord, I'm sorry for the times when I put you away, when I ignore you. Lord, I want you to take priority in my life. Will you come and be with me by your spirit? Fill me, Lord. Fill me by your spirit. That I may be like Jesus, humble, loving, and go low to serve others. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at WhitRiverside.